This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Friday. And next week, folks, it's the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa. AOA will be broadcasting live next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from the Trelleborg booth at the Farm Progress Show. That's booth 928. If you're going to be on the grounds, drop in. We'd love to see you, love to have you sit down. And heck, we might even put you on the air. So do be sure to come by and see us, folks. Today, as we wrap up the week, we have a lot of news happening in the broader economy. Fed Chair Jerome Powell this morning is speaking in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, he's going to be addressing the issues around inflation. He's going to be talking about potentially what the Fed might do when their next meeting comes around September 21st and 22nd. Uh, excuse me, 20th and 21st is the next time we could see the Federal Reserve raise interest rates. Thinking back over the past couple of months, we have seen the Fed bump the prime rate, that federal funds rate, three quarters of a percent in the last two meetings. The market wants to know, is the Fed going to go bigger with that? Could we see a full one percentage point jump in the interest rate? Well, given the strength of the jobs numbers here about a week and a half ago and the overall strength in the economy, even though it's slowing, there are some folks who think we could see that much of a jump. However, there's a push on the other side to see the Fed cut back, let the economy run hot for a little bit longer, and make sure that unemployment stays low. So there will be a lot of conversating about Jerome Powell's comments today. We'll be talking about them in the fourth segment of today's show. Before we get into all of that, however, we are going to be talking with Jeff Cooper of the Renewable Fuels Association in segment two about some new funding that was announced earlier this week by Secretary Vilsack. And in segment three, Jim Romer of Best Weather Inc. will be joining us. We're going to talk about the weather situation, not just domestically, but globally. The drought is a global issue this year. Jim has been tracking it. He's going to bring us up to speed on what it means for the agricultural markets and you know, potentially political security and stability around the world. And the drought is causing troubles here at home as well. Of course, that Southern Plains drought has been devastating. Cattle production, we talked with Daryl Peel about that earlier this week, and cotton production. Joining me for segment one here is Susan Everett. She's a member services representative with the National Cotton Council. She's based in Lubbock, Texas, and this past week she has been on the NCC's PIE tour across the Southern Plains taking a look at the cotton crop. Susan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Before we jump into the condition of the 2022 cotton crop, I'm curious about these PIE tours. Susan, what is it? We call it Pie Tour. Um, it's short for Producer Information Exchange Program. Um, it is a program that we have been doing since 1989. Um, after this year, we'll have about 1,200 growers that have participated in this program. And basically what we do with this program is we take growers from this year, we've taken them from the southeast and the mid-south, and they're coming out to the southwest. And they're just touring production agriculture, specifically cotton. And they are uh, learning. What They were out in the Lubbock area where I am. Um, they're just learning about issues um, that we face here out in Lubbock and the High Plains, like the lack of water um, and how, you know, learn how we um, produce a crop a big crop every, uh, every once in a while. Not this year, unfortunately. Well, um, that's why I wanted to get you on the horn this year, because it there <laughs> it is a tale of two different cotton crops down there across the South. The Southeast has had ample moisture, as I understand it. And then, of course, we get to you folks in the Southern Plains, and it has been a devastating drought. So, Susan, what are these Southeastern growers seeing as they take the tour through the High Plains? And then, of course, it went down to South Texas, didn't it? Yes, sir. They sure did. So when they were here in the Lubbock area, they were, um, they got to see, we do actually have a little bit of a crop. So they got to see, we talked with them about water. Water is such a huge issue here. And um, we, we showed them how, you know, drip irrigation and water, you know, some of the technology that we're using um, with 
the lack of water. Um, we were very reliant on uh, Mother Nature, and it's been very limiting this year, unfortunately. Um, but we do have a little bit of a crop, and so we did get to show them that. And, you know, everybody was amazed at how efficient we can be out here with a lack of water. That is something else. You're, you've got to come up with a whole different list of challenges for growers when you're looking in the Southern Plains versus in the Southeast. And I, I'm curious, you mentioned there's not much of a crop out there. Susan, over the past couple of years, how has cotton production fared across the Southern Plains? Has it continued to grow? Yes, it has. It has uh, grown. A lot, a lot of folks are, are moving away or starting a rotation of um, you know one year I'll do cotton another year I'll do um, corn or I'll do they, they've gotten into a rotation which is always really good and they've seen that the, that has increased yields whenever they do start some sort of rotation. Susan, this year's drought, of course, Lubbock, I mean, you're kind of right in the bullseye. How far outside of Lubbock, I guess, as these tour participants are headed down to South Texas, are you expecting them to encounter droughted cotton on the entire tour this year? Uh, well, the, the Rio Grande Valley has and actually has a really good crop, and they were, the participants, should be able to get some har- see some harvesting. They had an excellent crop. They're really in the state of Texas. They're really the only bright spot um, as far as uh, cotton production is concerned. They were just able to get the rains, and uh, they were able to make a decent crop down there. So it's worked out great for these participants to go down there and see that crop down down in the Rio Grande Valley. And plus, they get to see. Um, some other, they get to see some uh, sugar fields, and um, they really enjoyed the whole thing. That is fantastic, Susan. I'm curious, as, as you're talking, you're working with these growers who have been grappling with this drought all year long. It just has not, it's been unrelenting, I think is the right way to, to phrase it. How are their attitudes? I mean, cotton prices have been elevated. Is there enough there to make up for the downturn in crop condition? In, in your mind, is is are they upbeat? They are. They are. That most most uh, growers are are optimistic. That's what keeps these guys in uh, growing their crops every year. They have to be optimistic, and um, for the most part, they really are. They're they're hopeful that uh, we'll have a good winter with some moisture and in the spring we'll get some some spring rains and they'll be ready to grow a crop next year. Excellent news. Susan, National Cotton Council, of course, running the the pie tour. And uh, can we see the results from the tour? Are there places we can go to learn more about cotton more broadly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go to uh, cotton.org. That is the National Cotton Council website. Check it out, folks. Cotton.org. You can learn more from the National Cotton Council. We have been talking to Susan Everett, the member services representative down there in West Texas, based in Lubbock. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. Over the past year, we have seen a lot of U.S. consumers pull up to the gas pump, take a look at the options out there, and they have opted to purchase ethanol because it has been such a great value over the past year, of course, as gas prices have gone crazy. The challenge is that it still can be difficult to locate a station selling ethanol, even though they are growing by leaps and bounds. And earlier this week, uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack stopped by a Casey's station in Illinois to make an announcement that there could be some more assistance available to retailers looking to expand access to ethanol. It's a good thing for the biofuels movement. Joining us today to talk about it is Jeff Cooper. He's the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. And Jeff, how did you feel seeing Vilsack make this announcement? Well, Mike, Tuesday was was a great day for the ethanol industry. I agree with you. I was fortunate enough, enough to be uh, at that Casey station with the secretary when he made the announcement on Tuesday. And, and really, it's, it's two, two big announcements. Uh, the first one was uh, the secretary announcing the availability, starting immediately, uh, of $100 million in infrastructure funding for retailers like Casey's and many others who, who need some assistance in putting in the infrastructure to d distribute E15 and, and other higher level blends. So that was kind of big announcement number one. And, and big announcement number two was there's another $500 million in infrastructure funding coming as part of the recently adopted Inflation Reduction Act. So between these two programs, we've got you know a, a fresh uh, $600 million being applied uh, to infrastructure improvements across the industry. And, and you're absolutely right, Mike, the biggest hurdle, the biggest constraint we've always had in terms of demand is just reaching the consumer, having access to the consumer. Once we get there, you know, once you get a, a, an E15 or a flex fuel pump installed at a station, uh, then things just kind of, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a downhill uh, slide from there. I mean, everything goes really well because consumers pull up, they see that lower price, they give it a try. Um, the fuel works great for them, and, and typically they come right back the next time. So um, these investments will go a long way in helping improve our access to the consumer. 
And these are investments in infrastructure. Jeff, you've mentioned that a few times. For those of us who are outside the, the fuel marketing business, what types of infrastructure are these stations required in order to really start moving some higher blends of biofuels? Yeah, well, it really depends on the station, but in some cases, uh, new dispensers, new pumps are needed. In, in other cases, uh, and this is, you know, these are rare cases, but there are some um, stations that need to replace uh, their underground tanks or some of the components of the, the system underground, whether that's pipes or, or you know, sumps or just uh, various components of that system. So this funding would, you know, is... is uh, applicable to any of those components at a retail station, um, any equipment that a retailer would need to replace, even things like putting a new hose on a dispenser, um, it, it, all of that would be covered under this uh, this grant program, which is why it's it's really great. I mean, it just is is there for really any needs that the retailer has. Uh, there are some other. This funding is also available to um, wholesale uh, kind of terminal operators. Uh, the the guys. Um, that are actually blending the fuel at at the terminal level. Um, if if investments are needed to upgrade some of that in, in infrastructure as well, um, this program is is open to that. So uh, we're pleased by just uh, the the uh, breadth of this program and and everybody who's eligible to help you know to to receive some of this help. And Jeff, I understand the HBIP, this Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program. It, it's not new. It's been around before. Have right. the, the folks seeking grants, have, have they had good luck being able to actually secure the money? Or is this a lot of headlines and the money's kind of locked away and it's just too tough to get at it? Well, that's a great question. Um, and, and the answer is it's, it's not easy. I mean, anytime you're dealing with a government grant program like this, um, boy, there are a lot of hoops you got to jump through. But once you successfully navigate those hoops, yes, uh, you know, we've seen this money distributed uh, by USDA. Uh, we've seen more applications received by USDA than they had money for. Um, so it's kind of, you know, 100% subscribed. And, and uh, the retailers who have applied have had pretty good luck in, in getting that uh, assistance. And in fact, you know, we are here to help uh, in that process, we've we've got some folks on staff who are experts in terms of grant writing and and know exactly the sorts of things USDA is looking for, and we've offered our assistance to retailers in the past. Uh, we've had a lot of them take us up on that offer, uh, and we've always had a hundred percent success rate in assisting retailers. The the, the retailers we work with uh, to submit grant applications, one hundred percent of those have been funded. Um, and those retailers have received the assistance they were looking for from USDA and, and uh, you know, put in the new infrastructure. So it's, it has been a, a successful program. Again, um, there are some, you know, it's, it's it, like I said, it's like any government program. There's a lot of paperwork and some hurdles to, to get over. Um, but overall, we've seen this as a very successful program. And to have that partnership with RFA able to assist folks in getting this across the finish line, I think is crucial. And I'm curious, Jeff, you mentioned we got those two big announcements, that $100 million that's available now. I understand that grant application window closes uh, mid-November, right around Thanksgiving. The $500 million, what's your expectation for a timeline on a rollout of that IRA money? Well, I, I actually did have a, a chance to visit with the Secretary a little bit about that. I uh, and we've talked with others at USDA as well. Um, you know, it, it sounds like this additional $500 million, uh, we'll have more details on that probably six to nine months from now. Um, it's our hope that, the, you know, maybe a year from now at the very latest, uh, that round of funding would be open for applications. Um, so, you know, I, I would expect somewhere in that kind of six to 12-month time frame uh, before we see all of the details and, and get the process going on that 500 million, uh, but, but again, the good news is we, you know, we've got 100 million uh, open right now, and, and will be open through the middle of November. Um, and so, you know, just about the time that pro that round is is finishing up, we would expect uh, more details on the on the big one, the 500 million.
All right. So stay tuned for those announcements to be coming as these rules get worked out. Jeff, you mentioned Tuesday was a big day for ethanol. Of course, you got big dollar amounts moving into the industry. But also, Secretary Vilsack came out speaking really as the administration. And he said, quote, people are going to continue to keep their trucks and cars around for an extended period of time. So we have to do something about liquid fuels. And that has to be reassuring to hear somebody from the administration say, look, we, we recognize that biofuels are going to be crucial. Uh, with whatever is coming down the line. Yeah, it, it was very encouraging. And Secretary Vilsack, I think, has been strong on that point. He he has um, taken the time to really look at the, the future of the uh, liquid fuels market and, and the future of the vehicle market. And, and, and he understands, like the rest of us do, that um, you cannot flip a switch and, and electrify 260 or 270 million vehicles overnight. It just doesn't work like that. So uh, in the meantime... We ought to be doing everything we can to reduce the emissions impact and the, and the tailpipe pollution impact of, of the fuels we're using. And, and, and clearly, ethanol is a, is a great way to do that. And it, it, you know, the more ethanol we're using, uh, the fewer emissions we're going to get and the lower costs you're going to get at the pump. So uh, Secretary Vilsack's been great on that point. He has, I think, done a good job of, of helping educate others in the administration around that. And we are seeing, I think, uh, more from the Biden administration in terms of recognition that liquid fuels are going to be around a long, long time, and there ought to be a a role for ethanol and other renewable fuels in helping clean up that remaining use of petroleum fuels. And of course, we can do that by selling E15 year-round. Jeff, how have we seen progress be made on on making that uh, enshrined in law? Well, we we still have a, a, uh, you know, we're still awaiting some response from EPA to a request from eight governors uh, in the Midwest, including the governor of, of Illinois. Uh, so, you know, where this announcement was made would, would certainly be covered. Um, but we're waiting to hear back from EPA. Those governors uh, submitted a, a request or really actually notified EPA uh, that they are taking action in their states um, to facilitate year-round E15 sales by requiring some changes to the gasoline blend stock. Um, and it's a very technical issue, but these governors found, uh, you know, found a passage in the law that allows them to to do this, um, and so they're going for it. And so we're waiting to hear back from EPA. Last thing we've been told by EPA is, yes, uh, we we've got this request in from the governors, and we certainly expect to act on it before next summer comes. Uh, so hopefully, at least in those eight states, we wouldn't have this barrier that we've had in the past. Now, in terms of a nationwide solution. Um, we obviously got legislative language through the House, and we're going to do everything we can to get that language through the Senate as well. All right, we'll be watching for it, folks. If you want assistance getting that grant application for that HBIP program, you can visit RFA at ethanolrfa.org. Jeff Cooper, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Have a good one. And folks, stick around. We'll talk weather globally with Jim Romer of Best Weather, Inc. when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, all eyes are on Jackson Hole, Wyoming this morning with the Fed Economic Symposium underway and Chairman Powell set to speak here this morning. The U.S. Federal Reserve has a hawkish stance currently and traders will be anxious to see if that attitude is reaffirmed or if Powell indicates any bit of easing into a more dovish tone. Markets looking for a 50 to 75 basis point rate hike in September and another 25 to 50 basis points in November, though the differences between those two sets of estimate ranges makes all the difference right now. The stock market rallying uh, yesterday, but futures are indicating a more tentative open here on the day today as it waits for Powell's comments. Now in the grain and oil seed trade, mostly higher action seen there on Friday with the soy complex, the upside leader with corn and wheat up moderately as well. This week's Midwest crop tour, that's the other big story that has been watched in the trade and decent yield results in Iowa, Minnesota, and Illinois, but the trade is definitely skeptical of those states' ability to carry the U.S. crop to a decent yield or even anything near USDA's current corn projection of 175.4 bushels per acre. Now we see the USDA won't have a lot lot of room in its current 22-23 balance sheet to drastically cut corn yield production. Price rationing will have to do that work for them. Well, corn prices have been working on that over the last month plus and really have been the leader in some of the rallies here this week. Although, again, the soy complex is the upside leader on Friday morning. Overall, pretty decent uh, day in the grain trade so far. Meantime, livestock trade quietly mixed here. A little bit of support in lean hogs and live cattle with the feeder cattle market under a bit of pressure as corn moves higher as well on Friday morning. Crude oil is flat around 92.60 a barrel. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We have been talking, it seems, nonstop for the better part of the past year about the volatility in the commodity markets. Of course, we see it in the agricultural commodities, not just domestically, but globally. Prices have been oscillating between near record highs and then giving up several bucks going back to the bottom. We've seen similar stories play out in the crude oil markets, the natural gas markets, really all global commodities have seen this volatility for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things underscoring it all has been really quite a nasty stretch of volatile global weather. Talking us, talking with us today about the global weather situation, what he expects to develop as we head into fall and winter. Jim Romer of Meteorologist, founder of Best Weather Inc., joins us today. Jim, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Let's start first over in Europe. Uh, we spoke with John Holzman earlier this week, our geopolitical friend in Milan, Italy. He mentioned this is the worst drought they've seen in 500 years. Jim, give us a little more context to that. How much of Europe is currently in a drought situation? Well, roughly, I think 70 to 80 percent of the corn crop uh, over much of Western Central Europe certainly is. And it's very unusual, Mike, because during La Nina events like we've had this last year or two, droughts of South American corn, the drought in the Western Corn Belt this summer. It's unusual to see a hot summer in Europe. So I personally believe from all my research, this is somewhat related to climate change. And many people don't believe in that, but I certainly do. I'm very unusual during La Nina to see this kind of drought in Europe. 
And how long has this drought been developing? I mean, you mentioned La Nina is creating an impact. This is the third year we're moving into where La Nina has been a factor. So how long has this yeah. the diminished rainfall in Europe been a concern? Really only for about the last maybe two or three months. Now, if this would have happened back in March, April, and May, it could have really wiped out the, the wheat crop. It kind of began during the latter stages of the wheat development and mainly during corn pollination. Otherwise, wheat could be $2 higher than where it is right now. But most global wheat crops have actually improved, and that's one of the reasons that wheat was under pressure here. From the 12 to $13 Ukraine-Russian spike back in the spring, uh, things have improved globally, at least for the wheat, uh, wheat crop from, in most areas. They have. And as we're thinking about this drought, uh, you know, you mentioned the Ukraine-Russian war that spiked wheat prices up. Of course, they are much farther east than Central Europe. Does the drought extend into Ukraine-Russian grain growing areas? Not this year, Mike. A year ago, we had an explosion in wheat which we caught in our newsletter, our, our Weather Wealth newsletter. We have farmers and traders all over the world that subscribe to this. We caught that move up because of droughts in Canada last year during the second year of La Nina, droughts in, uh, in parts of Russia and, and also China. Incredible move. Uh, but recently, really, it's the Canadian and Australian and Russian and Ukraine crop is doing very well, uh, normal to above normal yields. One of the reasons that wheat prices have actually sold off versus corn here. Corn is just going nuts uh, and could go to over $7 because of these droughts, not only in Europe, but also in China. China's having a severe drought too, and that is related more toward actually uh, the third year of La Nina's. All right. I'm glad you brought us over to China, Jim, because we have seen just in the past two weeks a proliferation of sort of mainstream news talking about the drought that has gripped parts of China. Help, again, put us into perspective. China's a huge place. Is all of the country currently in a severe drought? Uh, no, probably about you know 20 to 35 percent of the region, but that's about 50 to 60 percent of the corn crop. You go further north uh, around Shandong Province and Heilongjiang, and far northeastern China, and they produce most of the soybeans and also about a third of the corn. They're actually doing relatively well. It's kind of over east central and, and central China that's affecting the rice crop uh, and also the corn crop. So. Now, you know, normally we see harvest pressure coming up here in the next month or two for corn. We could have a contra-seasonal this year because I think the USDA is really going to lower U.S. production well below 175 bushels per acre because of the Western Corn Belt drought. you got that, Europe, and China, a triple whammy. And if La Nina continues this winter again, the South American summer, we could have more problems down in, in, in South America to corn crops again uh, in December and January. So a lot for me to follow for farmers and traders all over the world. Yeah, there certainly is, Jim. There's no no lack of news here in the weather world in 2022. You mentioned you expect U.S. corn production, that USDA number, to come down sub, uh, sub 175. Where do you see the greatest hits to the crop taking place? Is it that western corn belt, Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa area that's, that's really going to suffer when the combines roll? Uh, yeah, it, you know, there's some rain in the forecast, but obviously too late to help the corn crop may stabilize yields for, for soybeans. But, you know, a year ago, everyone was getting all excited about this corn belt drought. It really affected South Dakota, far, uh, far northwestern corn belt. Mainly spring wheat was a market that went nuts last year. This year, that drought's a little further east into eastern Nebraska, much of central to western Iowa. Um, that's been the main area. Um, you know, obviously uh, from Illinois East where things have been relatively good, but still yields could come down a little bit lower than what the USDA has been saying. All right, Jim, I want to turn our focus back to Europe for a second, because we have been watching European electricity prices skyrocket. We've talked about it here this week on the program. European fertilizer producers are shutting down because natural gas prices have gotten too high. They're looking ahead to this winter. Europe is concerned about cold, dark winter. Jim, what's the forecast hold? Is there more risk for, for European consumers here as uh, the calendar gets deeper into the year? Well, you know, yeah, natural gas prices in particular have gone up several hundred percent. It's insane. And it's, it's been actually affecting our natural gas market, which reached $10 this week, the highest in 12 years. Typically, when you see these really warm summers uh, during uh, the third year of La Nina, generally, you'll, you begin to see, you know, you see typically a warm late fall and early winter in Europe and or the United States. So if that's the case, then we could see natural gas prices actually come down and, and things begin to ease a little bit with the electricity concerns over there. But yeah, so right now I'm still doing the research, but, but the odds would probably not favor a really severe cold winter.
All right. Well, that might be a little bit of good news for uh, for natural gas prices, as you mentioned there. Yeah, ten dollars per million BTU. First time in twelve years, prices are moving. La Nina, Jim. We're talking a lot about La Nina. It's one of those factors that truly drives global weather. This is the third year it's in effect. That seems odd to me, but I don't focus on this. Is a multi-year La Nina event strange in the meteorological world? Yeah, it certainly is. And, and again, in, in my newsletters for, for these clients, uh, on my website, I, I talk a lot about this. I have updates twice a week. And I, this, this is the, I think, fourth time. So we have one during the Dust Bowl years of 54, 1954 to 56. Again, around, I think, 74 to 76, droughts in the Corn Belt. Um, we actually did have a really cold winter in the winter of 76, 77. But the climate's warmed up so much since then, you can't really use that as an analog. Also, the 19, I think, 99 through like 2000, 2001 La Nina, and then, of course, the multi-year drought uh, and the Arab Spring, you know, which in, in, in much of Asia and also in the United States, 2010 to 2012, when grain prices went absolutely crazy, uh, and now we have, you know, uh, 2020 to 22. So it's only happened four times, really, in the last maybe 70 to 80 years. All right. So it is definitely one of the factors moving things. You mentioned it's in place. It will impact weather in South America. That first crop soybeans are about to go in the ground here here in September. How are things looking for those Brazilian growers who, who might be the first in down there? The soil moisture really has been very mixed right now, and there are some areas of drought concern, particularly in parts of Paraná and Sao Paulo. There have been a multi-year drought there uh, for several years. And um, you know, southern Brazil and Argentina will be much more of a factor in about 8 to 12, 16 weeks. We're still doing the research right now. It's really going to be critical that La Nina, you know, I think weekends, if it was the weekend by October, November somewhat, then we could see a normal to above normal crop for corn and soybeans. I'll be watching this very closely for clients because if La Nina does extend like into December and January, right now soil moisture is not that bad over the whole huge country down there then we're talking a, a, a major bull market again in corn and soybeans after our, a u.s harvest something i'll be watching very closely we don't have the supply we don't have the supplies very tight stocks we can't afford to have another south american weather problem which would be obviously great news for for midwestern farmers it would and so you'll be watching for that la nina's position here december january as for when it could start to move the markets yeah, and you know what I also look at, I have a I have an in-house software program, weather forecast program I use. I look at ocean temperatures, you know, 15, 20,000 miles away in Africa. There's something called the Indian Dipole, what's happening over the Indonesia and Africa, how that affects cocoa production. So other than La Nina, there are a lot of climatological variables, also the deforestation of the Amazon, which is the variable. A lot of things to consider. My programs try to incorporate all this and project weather sometimes six months in advance. And I'll be looking more at these, at these features here in the next few weeks ahead of the South American summer, our winter. All right, Jim, we've got just about a minute before we have to let you go. Tropical season is heating up. We haven't seen much activity in the Gulf. Do you anticipate hurricane season getting hot? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be posting a blog on my website later this afternoon at bestweatherinc.com about the hurricane season. So we are seeing the African dust, which was coming off the Sahara, from Europe that created this weak hurricane season. Dust tends to weaken the hurricane season. We're seeing that dust weaken somewhat, which means more activity, and something called the Maddie and Julian Oscillation, a wave that's, that comes across the Pacific. Without getting too technical, yes, the hurricane season is going to be really increasing here. Um, I think we could have one big storm in the Gulf sometime after September 4th. Very important for the energy market, still about 10 days away. But yes, um, hopefully we won't have four major category four or five hurricanes like we had the last three years or so. But I do see one potential big one in the Gulf uh, in early September. All right, folks, keep your eye on the sky. Weather is going to continue to move markets both domestically and around the world. Jim Romer, Best Weather Inc., thank you so much for joining us here on AOA Today. Love it. Thanks. Let's do it again soon. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to take a look at what is developing today in Jackson Hole as Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell addresses that conference. We'll be back with more AOA after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Friday. Hard to believe we are coming up to the end of August. That will be next Wednesday. will be August 31st. And of course, as I may have mentioned here on the program, we will be at the Farm Progress Show in that Trelleborg booth, number 928, broadcasting live from 9 to 10. We're going to be following that up with some panel discussions all three days from 10 to 11 there in the booth. So do be sure to drop in and see us, folks. A lot of stuff to be talking about here in the world of ag agriculture. We are seeing the grain rally continue today. We've got the corn market up four to three, four and a quarter cents. We've got soybeans also climbing, seeing some strength here today. That front month September still very strong, obviously in delivery up 23 cents. That strength is moving on down November up 13 and a half right now. And we're seeing that January contract up 12 and three quarters as traders continue to watch weather heading into this weekend. A lot of folks on edge after the crop tours this past week continued to find less less than stellar crops really pretty well across the country, though we will wait to see what these combines report as they start to roll. The big story happening outside the world of agriculture today is happening in Wyoming, in Jackson Hole in particular. The Kansas City Federal Reserve Board holds a policy forum each year. They've done this for forever, and it is expected that the Fed chairman show up and give a big address. Well, that happened this morning. Chairman Jerome Powell was in Jackson Hole, and market traders were watching very closely for some indication of how the Fed might react to this ongoing inflation situation we are facing across the country and didn't telegraph any explicit moves. He came back repeatedly. He said the market, excuse me, the, the interest rate moves in September will be determined by the data. And that's all he would give us as far as what to expect on September 20th and 21st, that next meeting of the Fed Open Market Committee. However, he did give some hints. And the hints are what traders are going to be watching for. And the hints all indicated that rate hikes continue to be on the table. Uh, Jerome Powell said, quote, restoring price stability will likely take requiring and maintaining restrictive policy stance for some time. They're not going to be printing a lot more money. They're not going to be stepping back in with any quantitative easing programs. He went on to say, quote, the historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. Remember, Fed Chair Jerome Powell wants to bring this inflation number down. We have heard from several guests on this program, notably Arlen Suderman has maintained that in order for in inflation to come down, that interest rate has to climb above the rate of inflation. And as of right now, we're not quite there yet. Uh, uh, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard also spoke earlier today, and he said that the Fed's moves have been working. He said that the rate hikes so far this year are doing what they are expected to do. For proof, he pointed to the slowdown in mortgage applications. The month of July and the month of August both saw substantial declines in home sales, saw substantial declines as interest rates for that 30-year fixed rate mortgage were climbing. He did say his target, and again, he is just one voting board member of the Federal Open Market Committee. So they'll take all of their opinions into account mid-September when they make their, uh, their interest rate adjustment. But he did say he's shooting for the Fed funds rate to be a, between 3.75 and 4% by the end of the year. So that would mean he would expect to see some substantial rate hikes both in September and then again in December when the Fed meets one more time. It went on to say Federal Chairman, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell went on to say that restoring inflation to the 2% target is the central bank's overarching focus right now. He noted that consumers and businesses, however, will feel economic pain. He uh, mentioned that another unusually large increase in the benchmark lending rate could be appropriate when officials gather next month. So that would be that three quarter to potentially one half percent rate increase currently being discussed there by the Fed. We'll see how the market reacts to this. No doubt we'll have more discussion of uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell's comments here on Monday when AOA returns. Before we jump off for the weekend, however, we did have some other government data come out today. 
inflation-adjusted purchases. So taking a look at what Americans are buying and how their buying has changed as prices have accelerated, and it was positive news slightly. Inflation-adjusted purchases climbed 0.2%. Now, they were totally flat in the month of June, so this is July's data. We are just now getting a chance to take a look at purchases of goods and services adjusted for changes in prices increased 0.2% after being flat a month early. That's reported by the Commerce Department. Spending on both merchandise and services advanced. We're continuing to see U.S. consumers diversify their spending away from goods more into services as that COVID hangover still leaves the economy. The average estimate in a Bloomberg survey of economists of this was for a 0.4% advance, so it did only come in at half the rate economists were expecting. It's another one of those pieces of mixed information. We'll see how that plays out longer term. We also have some news coming out of Missouri, folks. For those of you who are dealing, grappling, with Palmer Amaranth. We've got more bad news. This was reported earlier this week that the University of Missouri Extension researchers have confirmed the first case of glufosinate resistance in Palmer Amaranth. It was discovered down in the Boot Hill region. This is the fourth class of herbicides now that Palmer Amaranth has developed resistance to. Um, we've seen glufosinate resistance, uh, excuse me, the fourth, uh, fourth herbicide family Palmer Amaranth has resistance to, and it's got ALS inhibitors, PP inhibitors and ESPS inhibitors, and now, of course, glutamine synthesis inhibitors. This is not positive news. Palmer amaranth continues to spread, continues to adapt, and we continue to need great folks in agriculture helping fight the battle against invasive pests and weeds. Folks, next week is Farm Progress. We'll be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as I have mentioned. We will be talking to growers all across the country. Folks, taking a look at the drought monitor was released yesterday. We continue to see pockets of drought across western Iowa, almost all of Nebraska, western South Dakota, through Kansas, and then through the Southern Plains. Folks, if you're going to be there, we want to hear how things are looking on your operation. Drop by the Trelleborg booth Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week at Farm Progress Show from 9 to 10. We'll see you there on Monday. We're going to talk markets. We're going to talk agriculture, everything right here on AOA. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.